I'm Craig Lawless. I'm Kevin Garcia-King. And this is Sounds Like Infrastructure. Of all the buzzwords to come out of the tech world over the last 20 years, there's one in particular that's really stuck around. IoT, the Internet of Things. Uh, Well, the Internet of Things refers to any kind of device, machine or product that is connected to the cloud. That's Miguel Carpio who's part of the team at Ferrovial's Business Innovation Office. The two main characteristics of the IoT is sensing first and then sharing information. And he's working on a project that's taking this idea of sensing and sharing information and bringing it to Ferrovial's highways. The thing is, although you probably heard of the Internet of Things, it's a technology that never really got the red carpet treatment. There was no big launch, no Steve Jobs on stage to hype it up. And yet, it's almost everywhere you look. You have uh, any wearable on you? That's an Internet of Things. It's a machine that collects uh, information about you as a human body, and then it collects to somebody or, or, or some other machine, like your mobile, where you have a health application installed and displays all this information about heartbeat, steps, and uh, <laughs> how well did you sleep today or tonight? then this is IoT, because it's a machine-to-machine conversation and it's collecting information in real time. Because IoT devices are so good at collecting and sharing information in real time, Miguel and his team looked at Ferrovial's highways and said, maybe we can do something with IoT here. So more or less, this is what these IoT devices look like. And not just collect real-time data about the number of cars using the road for a business spreadsheet, but to use the sensors to collect data that will improve the driver experience and most importantly, improve the safety of the highway. If there is an emergency stop, you will know in real time. If there is an impact on the borough, you will know in real time. If there is a slow vehicle driving on the right lane uh, or even in the left lane, you will know it. The benefit of real-time information is that it's not just Ferrovial that can know that someone has, let's say, crashed into the barrier ahead, but also all the drivers on the road that that crash would directly affect. Because here's the really cool thing. You can send a warning message to other drivers so that they can react properly. So that they can know what to expect ahead, whether that's a stopped car or a horse and carriage, which is exactly what I came across on my holiday to Portugal and something that Miguel thinks he saw thanks to these sensors. You know what? The carriage and a horse that you found in the in Portugal, it might be the same that we found with our... Uh, IoT sensors, and maybe it's the same carriage and horse you saw. Connected and autonomous vehicles are opening up a new channel of communication between drivers and the roads they use. On this episode of Sounds Like Infrastructure, we're looking at how the Internet of Things is making this communication possible. We get a sneak peek into the connected highway of the future and find out how the road you drive on will soon be talking to the vehicle you're in. We also ask what that means for marketing. Will advertisers stop marketing directly to us and start spending their big budgets marketing to the machines we're in? That's next. One of the reasons IoT never got the red carpet treatment is because it's not a new concept. It's actually over 20 years old. The term IoT was coined in 1999 by a guy called Kevin Ashton, who wanted to show his bosses at Procter & Gamble all the cool things that RFID technology could do. But it would take more than a decade for IoT products to make their way into the mainstream. And when these products did finally hit the mainstream, it's safe to say that some were more successful than others. For example, the Dash button from 2015. 
Yeah, uh, well, okay, okay. The, the IoT uh, was around us since long ago, as you mentioned. This uh, touch button that was uh, that was maybe stuck on, on your fridge door uh, with a red button was uh, intended to help you in a, in a soccer night with no beers, no pizza, and you need to act quickly. Then, bang, you, can, you could smash the dash button to order a pizza and four beers. Just this. Now, if you haven't heard of the dash button, don't worry, because neither have we. It was like the IoT version of the bottle flip challenge, or those spinners everyone seemed to have at one point. It came and it went. And even though Miguel's example for the local pizzeria did exist, the dash button was really pushed by Amazon. Each button was set up to automatically order a specific product through your Amazon account when you pressed it. The idea being, you would stick it inside the cupboard where you keep the toilet paper, and when you see you're running out, press it to make an order. Yeah, put the, put the button where, where the user is. Yeah, that's contextual marketing, you know. <laughs> As you can imagine, because you probably don't have one, the dash button didn't last long. Pretty soon after its release, we were ordering things with our mobile phones directly through the Amazon app. It was much more flexible and, and even cheaper, and you didn't have any kind of problem with connectivity, the batteries and all that. So. so by the time Amazon killed the dash button, IoT devices had moved to the type of things we know today. Smartwatches, Alexa, bulbs that allow you to adjust the color temperature. It's in factories, the health sector, and of course, autonomous vehicles. And because of that, Ferrovia is working on a new project, a project that's still in the early stages but will bring IoT technology to highways and allow cars to receive information directly from the road. We, we have one, ma- one very significant program, which is uh, IVIA. That's Adrian Talbot, the head of Ferrovial Center of Excellence for Mobility. Which is, you know, connected, orchestrated connected corridors, which is specifically focused on um, basically creating a new framework, a new standard for uh, connected corridors. What Adrian means by connected corridors are roads that will be able to collect and share information with any person or vehicle that is connected to the internet. The information that they're focusing on sharing right now is safety information. Things like traffic conditions, hazards ahead. But before you share that information, you first got to collect it. And that can only realistically be done today with, shall we say, remote sensors automatically detecting and then providing that information. For those sensors to then share the information they detect, they need to be connected to the internet. And because they're sensors that are connected to the internet, they're officially IoT devices. So what sort of information are these IoT devices collecting? Well, Ferrovia is actually running three or four pilot programs right now in the US, Canada, and Portugal. And each of these programs uses a different mix of sensors. The idea is that by the end of the testing period, the company will be able to use a mix of the best sensors to create the ultimate connected highway. Miguel Carpio, for example, has been running a project in uh, Algarve in Portugal. The sensor in this project detects the size and speed of an object that passes by. We obviously can't, quote, see the vehicle. Because it's not a camera, which means that with these specific sensors... We can, we can identify between a car, a van, a truck, that kind of thing, but we can't tell you its color. The way they do this is through the clues that the sensors pick up about speed and size. If it's a large object moving at 90 kilometers an hour, then chances are it's probably a truck. And if it's a large object that's not moving at all, chances are it's a truck that's broken down. That information can then be automatically shared with the traffic control team, who can then solve the problem. 
but it's not the only way to collect safety information. We also have other projects within the IVEA program where we are looking at barrier sensors, for example. So we have uh, relatively simple uh, IoT sensors that we connect to guardrails and attenuators on the highway. We've just deployed about 30 of them in, uh, in Texas. And what they do is measure the impacts of vehicles on those guardrails and attenuators to warn the uh, traffic management center when there has been an impact. Now, impacts can range from somebody's just glanced it to, you know, it's had a massive impact and there's an accident. So every time there's a, a warning, they check on the CCTV. At the moment, we don't have uh, automated incident detection. That's, you know, the next phase of the project. But we have the uh, barrier and guardrail um, text. So we, ch- we check every, uh, every impact uh, to determine what's actually happened to help also train the, train the models. So what does an IoT device on the side of the road that does all this actually look like? Well, an industry-ready IoT device that's seen in factories or on construction sites is usually quite chunky and not the prettiest. But in this case, it's quite stylish. Uh, you, you will get surprised when you see the black plastic box with a solar panel on top of it, really thin, uh, lightweighted. It's, it's an incredible, uh, it's an incredible um, boxing. Not only that, but they're actually quite cheap and pretty easy to install. It's like a sort of do-it-yourself, you know? You don't need, like, uh, expensive civil works to get it installed on the on the road. It's, it gets connected itself with no power supply, with no communication. What this means is that you can install more sensors to gather more information. And more information means more data points, which helps you make sure the information you've collected is actually correct. So what do you do with this information when you have it? Well, as we mentioned earlier, you can share it with the traffic control center so they can send out a tow truck to get a broken down car off the highway. But there's also another option. You can also share this information with road users. If you've ever used an application like Waze, you might already be familiar with the idea of getting information about traffic, visibility, or broken down vehicle ahead. Waze is basically like Google Maps, but in Waze, Drivers can add information to the app that lets other users know about things that they've passed. Maybe for some reason there's a random box on the road, or a stopped vehicle ahead. And although this system works quite well, it does come with a number of challenges. One of the challenges also with some of these crowdsourced information is, you know, if that box or if uh, if that foreign object or stopped vehicle is now no longer there, typically no one is going to say, that the vehicle is no longer there. So that warning stays there for a long time. And actually what you will typically see with one of the biggest issues with things like Waze today is not that we don't get warnings about things. Typically we do. What happens is that those warnings last too long and we have the delayed effect of some of these, you know, hazards or whatever, you know, impacting traffic for much longer than they need to because they're being cleared or they're no longer there. And so this opens up the opportunity for the connected highway to share up-to-date and relevant information with each driver. So let's say the sensors on the ferrovial highway are collecting all this information. We would then automatically be able to send messages to the dynamic message signs. We'd be able to update ways, for example, with that information. We'd be able to send out uh, control messages to the connected vehicles if there are any. And irrespective of what system or solution they're sending the information about 
at this point in the road, there is a foreign object. So we recommend or we are telling you to slow down, divert, we close the lane, whatever we decide to do, we can do. And the difference is that as a road operator, we would have that information as soon as it happens. That information can then be shared with different vehicles in different ways. Let's say you're driving a car that has no connection to the internet. That could be the digital signs on the road or lights on the hard shoulder. If you've got an app like Waze or Google Maps, that would be a safety message popping up on the screen. In a connected vehicle, you could get more detailed information that shows up in the control panel saying, there's a vehicle stopped in the right-hand lane, please move into the left lane. Or in an autonomous vehicle, that information arrives and the car changes lanes without you even knowing that there's a hazard ahead. For the next few minutes, we're going to move away from the present, get our crystal ball, and look into the future. Let's say we're all driving connected in autonomous vehicles. It's not like there's going to be safety messages that need to be sent out at all times. So what happens when there's no emergency? I have no other, bro- no other message to broadcast. Uh, there's nothing important. Why not showing other uh, relatively important uh, information with the cards? For example, toll prices. Why not? Our toll prices are variable. I w- it would be great if I can share that information uh, to users before entering the road. And this is just one example. So that got us thinking, what else can be shared? Does this situation leave the door open for marketers to jump into the IoT equation? Like the Internet of Things is, is fascinating. Obviously, I don't, I'm not... To get some answers, we talked to Andy. My name is Andy Wynn. I uh, lead up the marketing and customer engagement department at the LBJ NC, NC3 Techspress Lens concession. We wanted to hypothesize what marketing might look like in the world of IoT and autonomous vehicles. Because... We're potentially going to have a vehicle that makes decisions for us. And not just the usual driving decisions like accelerating and braking, but decisions based on the information your car receives from the IoT devices around it. That could be something like where you go to charge your electric vehicle. In that situation, would your autonomous vehicle bring you to the closest service station or to the cheapest service station? Or to the one that gives you a half-price lunch while you wait for the charge to be complete? Then there's route choices. How do you get to work in your autonomous vehicle? Do you use the paid roads or the free roads? To give you some context, here's the situation today. You are driving your car, you see traffic in the free lanes, and the express lanes are going, you know, 70 miles an hour. (laughs) You have the choice to uh, pay a little more for convenience and get there faster. From a marketing standpoint, um, it's all about giving the customers a choice, right? Today, that choice is made by you, the driver. But would that still be the case if you're a passenger in an autonomous vehicle? Remember, your vehicle is going to be receiving tons of information from IoT devices around it. It's going to take in that information and then ask itself, what does my passenger want? Uh, some people don't like sitting in congestion. Some people just want the, uh, the cheapest route. Uh, some people will prioritize safety above all else. And so it, it just depends on, again, your, your customer profile. And these things that Andy mentions, they're the value factors. Because although three different people may be using the same road, they might value three different things. And so the important thing is to make sure that these value factors are shared by the IoT devices on Ferrovial's highways. You can always communicate those value factors. If I need, if I need to communicate to, to the vehicle, then, then that's what we do. If I need to communicate to the actual person driving the vehicle, then we do that as well. 
And so from a connected highway perspective, it's not just about having the information, but about presenting it in the right way at the right time to make decisions. And this is all again, you know, behavioral economics is a key, key area that uh, is very critical. And we're already quite familiar with this particular concept of marketing. It's how a lot of digital marketing works today, especially in e-commerce. I think the example that everyone kind of refers to is, is Amazon, right? I mean, they they know all of your purchase history. Uh, they will actually notify you if you have an Alexa device that you're, you know, maybe low on toilet paper, and they'll automatically add it to your basket, so that it's there the next time you're shopping online. I mean, it's that's overall an improved user experience. So it's not just you know collecting the data; it's actually taking action on it as well. So where is the information and data going to come from so that your driverless car can improve your user experience? For each driverless car on the highway, we know historically the usage behaviors and and the trip patterns. Then we're able to sort of speak to that car, (laughs) the highway is anyway, and maybe, you know, trigger an action uh, based on your previous usage. And that's that's going to lead to that personalized experience. I'm trying to like connect all the dots here, but Andy's example of trip patterns and previous usage is the driverless car version of Amazon recommending you specific products based on what you bought in the past. Before chatting to Andy, we thought that the autonomous vehicle would be making all the decisions for us, that we'd be living in this weird future where we don't actually have any say. But that's not true. This point about improving the user experience is important because at the end of the day, the car has a passenger inside and that passenger is not going to continue using a paid highway if their experience isn't good. Plus, it's the passenger that has the credit card, at least for now. It's all about understanding the user experience and value factors of a passenger and then making sure the highway would share that information to the right user at the right time. So to ask that question again, who will make that final decision? the passenger or the driverless car. Again, I think it's very important to know, though, that as we move into this world, and even today, customers will always be the final decision maker, in my opinion. I think as we move into any sort of automated world, you are making a decision um, either in your settings, your preferences, uh, or your actions itself. You you are making a decision. It's not the machine itself. I know that's... Uh, it might be. It might seem like that on, on the service level if you get in a driverless car, <laughs> uh, but like you're still making the decision. What Andy is saying is that although you might not make a decision at the exact moment your car joins the managed lanes, you will have made that decision in the past because of your previous road usage or settings you've set up. So how does Andy see himself using the connected highway in his driverless car in the future? What's his value factor? In my opinion, for asking me personally, what I would be interested in is the time savings benefit of it. Um, it's going to reduce congestion. I'm always going to, you know, trust the driverless car to make the right decision because I maybe have set preferences to, you know, take the the fastest route <laughs> um, or take the route with the least amount of congestion. Because there's, I mean, those preferences sort of exist today too. I mean, you open a Waze or Google Maps. I mean, it's you can set all those preferences. And then some people care about um, just constantly moving. So they'll take alternate routes and get on the, the, the frontage roads and back roads, uh, even though it's a longer distance and a longer trip. Sounds like infrastructure is a collaboration between Ferrovial and Valletta Media. 
Our team includes Kevin Garcia King, Jose Garcia Guaita, Arancha Gulias, Manuel Sanchez Medina, and myself, Craig Lawless. Thanks to Miguel, Adrian, and Andy for chatting to us. And if you like this episode, you can find more stories like this one on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Kevin Garcia King. I'm Craig Lawless. And this is Sounds Like Infrastructure.